check out this review from one of our listeners, Annie, and how she relates what we discuss on They'll Be Fine to her life in the business world. This is a good topic because these same gifted kids may face the same challenges at work when they're older. In theory, gifted kids grow up to be high potential and high performing employees, and employers need more of them. I'm sure there's tons of high potential employees today who are overlooked either by HR or management, but that may be because they weren't given the right tools in school. Same goes for HR and management. They need to be doing the same as teachers and providing challenging stretch assignments to further develop talent. If you're a fan of our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review or share this episode on your own social media. Every like and share counts and helps us to reach families and educators who are trying to navigate and advocate for the gifted loved ones in their lives. Well, the first thing I would say to them is enjoy the ride. (laughs) Um, That it's a beautiful, diverse day every day. And the more you try to control or force the outcomes, the more tired you're going to get. And to really be willing to go with the flow and live in the moment and honor your own neurodiversity and creativity and gifted curiosity and allow a lots of space within the scaffolding rather than rigid um, line item lists. On a day-to-day actual basis, have very good healthy boundaries. Have your yes mean yes and your no mean no. And learn how to communicate in specific, clear manner with yourself and others. I teach the five-word rule saying, if you cannot deliver your message in five word sentences and no more than five sentences, that's 25 words, you're speaking too much. Hello and welcome to NCAGT's first ever podcast, They'll Be Fine. I'm one of your hosts, Hannah Park, and for this episode, Alexia Rose, NCAGT board member and They'll Be Fine podcast editor, will be co-hosting. Time and time again, we hear they'll be fine, they're smart, they're already ahead of the game when people refer to gifted learners. And because of this sad misconception, too many students fail to reach their full potential because they do not receive appropriately challenging curriculum and services. The National Association for Gifted Children reports that 73% of teachers agreed that too often the brightest students are bored and under-challenged in school. Teachers are under a prohibitive amount of pressure to close the achievement gap of their struggling students. And while yes, this is a very important measure, it shouldn't be at the expense of our gifted and talented students. We have to acknowledge the growing excellence gap. So here at NCAGT, we believe that it's up to us as parents, educators, and stakeholders to provide the gifted community the support that they rightfully deserve. Listen to They'll Be Fine to learn more about what you can do to ensure that your gifted and talented scholars are provided the resources they need to thrive. We're here because the saying, they'll be fine, just isn't good enough. Today's episode, we interview Diane Allen, a visionary and intuitive life mentor. Through her raw experience, education, and decades of serving twice exceptional adults, teens, and families, Diane has crafted unique and inspired ways to bring out the best in everyone. She holds degrees in psychology, rehabilitation counseling, and divinity. Diane's the CEO and founder of Visions Applied, where she publishes books, blogs, and podcasts. To date, Diane has authored and published seven books and has an eighth on the way. In this episode, we pick Diane's brain about intuitive giftedness and how to unlock our own intuition. Enjoy. So Diane, what does a day in the life of a visionary and intuitive life's mentor look like? Oh, a day in my life is never the same any two days in a row. I wake up in the morning and I have a very um, connected spiritual routine of meditating and journaling and grounding and things like that. I often have very wild dreams. uh, So I need to get grounded first thing in the morning. And then um, after I do that, I start my day and no two days are the same. 
I have clients all across the United States and in Canada and other places. And so I don't have a regular schedule in that sense. Every day is different. And I spend time about 10 minutes before every thing I have to do, every client, every meeting, kind of meditating, grounding, and getting into my intuitive self or see how much of me needs to go there. I exercise every day on some level. Sometimes it's just, you know, dancing around the living room. Sometimes it's going to the gym. It's all different kinds of things that will feed my soul. And then in the evening, I have another quiet time. I do a lot of quilting um, because quilting harmonizes the gifted brain much more than I realized when I started it. So I'm always paying attention to how aligned I am. Like, am I grounded? Am I aligned? Where's my nervous system? What's going on? Because I'm twice exceptional with all the over excitability. So it takes a lot just to keep me in gear as we go. And, and my clients are amazing. And so I never know what I'm going to run into when, when, the, when the Zoom kicks on or like just the other day, yesterday, actually, I was, client of mine is going to school here in Winston and her mom calls and says, come on, come over. And so I spent two hours doing an emergency intervention um, that I didn't know I was going to be doing. And wow. so um, because I work in a very intimate level with my people, I never really know what's going to come next. So I'm, I, um, I like to be available. So there's no two days that are the same. It's really kind of fun. Well, and it sounds like you wear a lot of hats. You, you kind of have your toes dipped in a lot of different things, writing books, podcasts. But one of the things I noticed in your bio was that you have a master's of divinity. And from my understanding, that involves a lot of intellectual rigorous coursework, but you also have to spend some time in a real world setting, like different churches and synagogues and mosques. Is that the case with you? Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yes, I went to school at the Unity Theological Progressive Seminary. Completely didn't expect that that would be happening, by the way, but I did. And um, it was the hard, it was way harder than my master's in rehab counseling as far as academically rigorous. And um, I was the president of the board of, of a local unity church for 12 years or something like that. Did a lot of lessons, did a lot of teaching classes, a lot of spiritual mentoring um, in metaphysics and those kinds of things. Um, and I use it some in my work today still. Um, and it's, it's, I believe that as a gifted person it is my responsibility as a helper, as a guide, as an ambassador to learn as much as I can about everything. And ever since I was like 16, I'd started doing that. So I um, use what I learned there. It was, it was profound. It was a profound education. And um, yeah. So some people call me reverend. Um, you could, but I don't do that. I don't use that. <laughs> So today we're going to be talking a lot about intuitive giftedness. Can you explain to our listeners what that means and how you would define intuitive giftedness? Oh, I love that. That's my favorite. I am. Um, when I start first started working with gifted people or, or like in the gifted realm with gifted educators and people who call themselves experts, I think I've always been doing it. I just wasn't in that realm. And I'm like, well, what about all our intuition? What about the fact that we all know stuff that nobody else knows we know? How come, what is it about us that we can just look at a math problem and solve it? And if somebody says, show your work, we can't, but we're always right. Or what is it about the fact that we know the, the end of the whodunit mystery in the first 45 seconds? Like that is a gift beyond just what's in front of us on the physical realm. And it's natural to me. And I'm like, well, I'm really intuitive. And so I started really paying attention over the years to my clients, to at different conferences in my own world. And I'm like, all the overexcitabilities don't account for that. And a lot of gifted people don't account for intuition. And in fact, recently I was running a um, retreat for a bunch of neuroscientists from University of Florida. And these are well-accomplished intellectual you know, doctors. And I said, how many of you used your intuition in your research? And I kind of asked it out of nowhere so they it would, I'd get a spontaneous answer. Every single one of them raised their hand. And they go, but we're not, we, we can't admit that in the academic world because that is not acceptable in the academic world. And so we live in a culture that has it also separated. But yet, when you really look at people who are very successful or know things, it's intuition. 
And, you know, and so I started really working with my clients. And, and I, in fact, my new book is about this very topic. Um, it's not quite out yet. It should be done soon. But it's more about like, okay, giftedness is just not cognitive. It's not just linear two-dimensional IQ points. There's way more to the neurodiversity of a gifted person and a gifted brain than how smart we are in the traditional sense of things. And so as we expand our awareness and understanding, we need to include the fact that intuition and spiritual giftedness means in a practical sense that we know stuff. And we don't have to explain it to you, but we're right. You know, I have one of my clients who's a geneticist. She's a genius in the science world. And she's one of the most, she's extremely intuitive. And so I kept saying, that's your intuition. That's your intuition. That's your intuition. And now she goes, that's my intuition. Like now she can see it. And now she's made friends with it. And now her confidence has soared because it doesn't feel awkward or weird or creepy or I can't tell anybody, you know? Um, so I'm trying to teach people to make friends with the fact that we all have a level of it. It's how much are we dialed in and are we really allowing ourselves to exercise that muscle? So would you say intuition is like just like that gut feeling, your sixth sense? Yeah, it's that and more. But yes, a lot of people say, well, my gut says this, or I just kind of know, or I have a hunch. And all those are, are words that people use for it. You know, when I'm working with somebody and I dial into what's going on, I'm just talking to them. In fact, they've even told me I turn white, like they, they can tell the energy around me is different. But I, I can sense or see like the path go do this and then do that almost like like you would a chess match but it's not chess it's okay this is this is the avenue that would high, be the highest good at this moment based on where we are and i can see it it's so cool yeah well, and, yeah go ahead and and it's think that in in the gifted world um, and especially with kids right if we learn as adults not to hold the kids into a paradigm that doesn't even work anyway and let them be all of the, who they're meant to be, then these gifted kids coming into the world really can change things for the better, you know, because we teach kids how to squash it all right around four or five, six years old. And I have a nine-year, a family I'm working with that's a nine-year-old girl. They, they have four kids, and but the nine-year-old girl is really amazing. And her parents are you know, psychologists and they're really cool and they're really, they're really cool too. But the nine-year-old girl just looked at her dad one day and said, I don't need cards. I don't need all those things people use. I just know stuff, dad. And so she's like, and so he's really supportive of her spiritual giftedness and she sees and knows things way ahead of schedule. And I don't think those are accidents. I think this is like a higher level of human development. And if we let ourselves make friends with it. It'd be really fun. So do you, what do you believe is the correlation between gifted individuals and intuition? I think that, um, again, this is just from my own experience out here in the world, but um, being that I'm gifted and everyone I know is pretty much, um, I believe that gifted brains, gifted humans, we operate on a different frequency or wavelength from neurotypical average IQ people. It's not better than, in fact, sometimes I think it's a liability, but it's different. It's like, a, it's like a higher vibration as in frequency. So then when you add intuition on that, that comes with a constellation of assets and also some liabilities, right? And so when it comes to seeing it in us as gifted people, to say, okay, well, if we have this gift, what are we going to do with it? And how are we going to do it? Use it. What are we going to do with it for our favor instead of squashing it? But I see it as a, as a step forward in, in our own development. The more we're aware of it and the more we make friends with it, the more amazing our lives become and the more we give our children permission to be all of who they're meant to be, not just linear intelligence. There's more to it. So could you give us another example of what gifted intuition might look like, like in a child? Well, in a child, sometimes I've seen all kinds of cool things in kids is, is a lot of times they'll be talking about 
um, especially, okay, I, I'll give you specific examples of people I've worked with because it's more fun. Um, I had this one family I was working with and, and they already had one child. She was, how old was she? She was about six, no, five or so at the time. And um, they were um, like, you know, they believed in Waldorf schooling, you know, so there was no electronics and the kids could have a free flow. And they were, it was a really kind of cool family. And I, um, and the parents were really cool. And so the mom got pregnant with the second baby and they decided to have an in-home water birth. Well, the five-year-old told the parents what the baby's name was going to be when she was coming and how they've shared previous energy together in the world. And so the five-year-old knew more about the soon-to-come baby than the parents did. And the five-year-old was accurate from when the baby was coming. The five-year-old, you know, they, you know, and the parents go, well, really, that was a name we were thinking, but the kid didn't have any information. And the child knew what its soon-to-be sibling was going to be and when they were going to show up. So until we squash those things, we tend to know things like that, you know? You know, it's the same intuition shows up where and you, you've done this happen to you when you're thinking about somebody and then you pick the phone up and then it starts ringing and it's them. And people call that, a, you know, coincidence. But I don't think it's a coincidence at all. It's a synchronicity. It's a spiritual connection higher than what's physically in front of us. Or when we just know something, mothers know stuff. If the kid's in trouble, they know it forever. Right? Or all those things. Those are all examples of spiritual giftedness. We just don't call it that. And we just pretend like it's an accident or it's some weird fluky thing. It's not fluky. You know, if I want to, I've even practiced it before in my life where I wanted to talk to somebody and I just think about them really hard and say, okay, so-and-so call me, you know, and sure enough, within hours, my phone rings. I've just been thinking about you a lot and I just thought I'd call you. And I'm like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, we're all connected in a whole bunch, much more amazing way than we give ourselves credit for. So when people come in uh, to like seek your help, are they, do they know that this is what they're looking for when they come to you needing help? Or do you kind of point this out to them and guide them through it? It's yes to both of those. Um, typically when people come looking for me, whether it's an entire family that I'm working with their kids or the adults or whatever, it's that sense of kind of like uh, anxiety or a little bit of internal unrest. I call it like an angst where there's something more I'm supposed to do or I don't know what it is. It's this questioning and this anxiety, gookie, depression, angsty feeling, and they need somebody to help guide them out of it um, from a place that's not pathologizing. So they come looking for me because they're not looking for a diagnosis. They're not looking for making it a pathology, but like, how do I find my way through this? And whatever it is, whatever the situation is. And so for some people, they're gifted and don't even know it. So I have to start with some of the beginning education. And it's not a bad word and all those things, you know. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then for other people, they're like, in fact, I have a client that I'm going to start, you know, he's just now starting with me. And, and after this interview, and he starts out his talk with me, the very first meeting is, well, I'm profoundly gifted. And I was, and since I was nine, I was tested, blah, 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 blah. And now I'm done masking and I've created several really successful companies and now I want to have my life. And so how do I become my more authentic self? And, you know, like I follow, in other words, what he said was I followed society's rules long enough. Now it's my time basically is what he said. So, so it's all different kinds of situations, but the commonality is there's a sense of inner angst or unrest. And when we get in alignment, we make friends with all those parts of our, ourselves and we can flow in the world and be successful and happy. I mean, life still happens to us, but we don't have to have all that angst. So you've talked a lot about making friends with your intuition and kind of just understanding, almost unlocking it in a sense. Right. Ooh. How can the listeners guide gifted people they know and even themselves unlock that intuition? Well, here's a really cool little like, practice to start to kind of make friends. And that is when you have a hunch or gut feeling about something, write it down. And then sit and see. And look for verify the two things are verification and confirmation. 
So you write down like whatever it is. You know, I got that gut feeling and write it down. And then you wait and see what happens. And were you right or not right? Now, remember, intuition is not linear. So you could get a really strong message. It doesn't mean it's going to happen before lunch. It means that that's energy at the time. So sometimes it, you know, it shows up really quick. Sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, you start out by writing it down, documenting it. Sometimes I'll tell my friends, you're my witness when this happens, you know, <laughs> you're my witness. And, um, and then when it happens, they call me up and go, whoa, I'm like, yeah. And now I verify and confirm all the time. And I know I can tell when it's on. But to, to start with, to start making friends with it, just say, OK, my gut says this or hmm, I have that hunch or. Or the random thoughts that pop in your head where you're in the shower or driving or doing something, all of a sudden you're thinking of stuff and like, where did that come from? Write it down. Just jot it down. And then sit back and watch what happens. And if you start seeing that correlation, then that's how you can dial in even more and more and more. And then your accuracy goes up because you start seeing that you really are using more than just your linear cog- you know, conscience and cognizance to keep moving forward, which is... And that's fun to verify and confirm it because it's like you get these little yummy rewards. <laughs> like, look, I was right again. And then you start seeing, whoa. And most likely, the person who says they're going to start doing that sees that they've been using that part of the, their intelligence, the highest form of their intelligence, more than they realize. Just this reminds of- me a lot of um, journaling. I think one of the beautiful things about journaling is going back and reading and you can, it's hindsight. So you can almost see the path that was being, you know, weaved for you almost and how it's all connected and everything happens for a reason. So this is just interesting to think about instead of writing what, you know, like most of the time you journal, it's what has been happening to you, how you're feeling. But very rarely do I write about kind of these intuitive feelings that like I've been having. So that's really interesting to think yeah. of doing. And Lexi, you could do that during your morning moments with Joe. And this is exactly what I was thinking about. I do morning moments with Joe, my cup of Joe. Um, one, to force me to drink my coffee while it's hot. Because I always get to eat Chang and just forget to drink it. But two, to just like spend time with myself and just like let ideas and thoughts kind of just like spill out. And normally it starts off with like, look how cute my dogs are. Like, I love them so much. And it normally turns into like much deeper things about what I'm thinking and feeling and what's going on that I never even planned to write about. So it's really cool as I do it every single day to see how some of those things evolve and how I forget some of them were, didn't Mm -hmm. matter that were like, aren't still as relevant now. Right. You could even do that by writing down some of your dreams or some of the insights mm-hmm. you get when you're meditating or quiet. Like I remember I was running a big rehab center and I, and I started getting all these messages. I'm like, oh, did all this about it didn't make sense. But I was writing it all down because I didn't care. I write it all. down. And then sure enough, about six months later, boom, I went back and started reading it. And almost word for word, whatever I wrote, I'm like, oh, look at this. It was it was uncanny. It even surprised me. And I'm pretty you know, out there with it. But it, it, when we really give ourselves permission to be in that space, we can change the quality of our life very quickly because we start to see that there's way more going on than we think. And to me, that's exciting. And to me, that's those extra yummy pieces of being gifted and being able to then use it with something because we have all those other skill sets that we can run with it with. You know, it's just not, one-dimensional. So I'm thinking about all of this as far as education. I'm thinking about all of the adults that are involved in a school setting. So what kind of encouragement could you give to those adults to therefore help their students follow this intuition and giftedness? Well, I, I believe that us adults are meant to be role models and model it and to show that it's okay. So play and story and using imagination and teaching the whole idea to verify and confirm. If I have an idea, like you think about the scientific method is like that, right? You do all the thesis, you do all the research, and then is it true or not true, right? Well, what if we did that with our hunches or our ideas? You know, what if, if, if you're 
teaching a class and, you know, and, and a student starts talking about, well, what about this? What about that? And it might sound goofy, but instead of ruling it out or it doesn't fit this paradigm, say, okay, well, how might that work? And start asking questions about how could whatever this idea is show up or not. And there's no wrong answer, but to allow that imagination and that play to come together and know that typically if something's just coming in as a really cool idea, there's something there. May not have to do with what you're talking about in the moment. There's something there. So I'm always like to be like um, a cross between um, like Sherlock Holmes and an archaeologist, you know, like I'm always digging with a little thing or always asking questions and, and really keeping curiosity going. So the best thing us adults can do for the children is to encourage curiosity and asking questions um, that are the second question, the third question, not just the why questions, but like what comes next and what about this? And for us to keep our questions and our curiosity alive, because adults, sometimes life can get just so hectic and so many things and we're distracted and we put our curiosity on the back burner. And I think we, that that doesn't serve all of us to let, let that part of us show up in a way where we all can be kind of in that creative, yummy, juicy flow instead of shutting down. So I think if we just role model it more and give kids permission, we'll start seeing all kinds of amazing things for everybody. Love that idea of modeling. They're sponges. They copy everything you do. Right. <laughs> and, and, and that when their brains are co-regulating too, right? So it's so important if we decide, okay, well, if we're going to be curious and let ourselves have fun and give them permission and latitude in healthy ways. They learn boundaries and they learn that it's okay to have really great ideas. And it, you never know, it's like, you never know where it's coming from. So you're sitting in a class or you're whatever, and one kid might say one thing or the teacher might say something and then the next idea and then the next idea. And pretty soon there is something really amazing and magical emerging that any one of those things by themselves was okay. But now we have a combination effect that is synergistic and beautiful. And, and I think then that charges up the adults because then we want to do it more because it, it reinforces us and it charges up the kids to see that there's so much more to them than one dimension, which I think all of us need to learn. I think so many people get that whole beauty of our essence kind of shut down in this culture. So to keep us aware that there's so much going on. To me, it's fun. It makes me think about um, my last writing unit with some of my students. I kind of just let them just follow whatever came to them. And mm -hmm. every so often I'd ask them, what's next? Yes. What is it? And they're looking at me. They're like, what do you want from me? What do you want me to create? And I'm like, what's next? You know, and it was incredible how they were able to support each other doing so many different things at the same time. But also really go off on their own and try something new that they wouldn't have otherwise. So, Right, because um, right, we're so trained that the teacher is going to tell us this is what it is and that's the only thing and that's it. And so when you said that what's next and didn't, you didn't give them the next part, they had to sort out what the what next part was. That was a huge gift for them because what they had to do in order to answer that is to go into their intuition, go into their gut, go into their problem solving, go into their curiosity to create what was next? And so teaching that critical thinking and that ability to say, hold on, there's more to me just by that simple thing. Plus it's fun, like you said, to see what happens because it's always something more amazing than you imagine. It's always better. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I probably couldn't have planned a better unit because they, I, the end, they ended up doing it for me. It was beautiful. <laughs> so that's kind of for educators, and people in the school setting, what would you say to parents that are living with these kids and, you know, seeing all of the different parts of them? What advice would you give to them? Well, the first thing I would say to them is enjoy the ride. <laughs> um, that it's a beautiful, diverse day every day. And the more you try to control or force the outcomes, the more tired you're going to get. And to really be willing to go with the flow and live in the moment and honor your own neurodiversity and creativity and gifted curiosity and allow a lots of space within the scaffolding rather than rigid um, line item lists. And um, 
on a day-to-day actual basis, have very good healthy boundaries, have your yes mean yes and your no mean no, and learn how to communicate in specific, clear manner with yourself and others. I teach the five-word rule saying, if you cannot deliver your message in five-word sentences and no more than five sentences, that's 25 words, you're speaking too much. Because with gifted kids, it's really easy. Once they get you to bite the bait of a discussion or debate, you just lost. Just might as well hang it up. You lost. So, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, adults think they can outlogic a gifted kid. And that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. It's not possible. So, five-word sentences. Deliver the message in five words. If you have to use six or seven, rethink it before it comes out of your mouth. Because all you have to do is give them any crack of negotiation and you're going to lose. So, learn how to be very clear and specific. Because gifted kids, all of us, we are good at being visionaries and finding our way through and logicing our way and arguing our way. But the truth is, the more concrete and specific, the more safe and grounded and healing a family can be. So. First thing is clean up the language, get rid of all the extra vocabularies and all the long, like I have this one family, they have four kids. And and when I first met them, they kept explaining to a five-year-old and a two-year-old and a four-year-old and a nine-year-old, all of the logic of their professions and what they have to do in the day-to-days of adults. So the kids could understand. I said, oh, please. Like there's a time for that, but not when you're trying to tell them to go to bed. Or not when you're trying to tell your nine-year-old that she can't stay up all night reading and then be late for school. Yes, she loves to read. Don't stop her from reading. But let's put some parameters on that so that she doesn't live sleep-deprived and so that you're not trying to explain to her the logic of how come she can't be sleep-deprived. She doesn't care about that. She cares about her book. You know, because even though we're gifted, we're still whatever age we are. And so adults tend to use language and vocabulary and these long, complicated logic systems with a five-year-old. Now, there are times to teach it to them. I'm not saying never do that, but when you're trying to set a boundary or have an expectation of this is what it is, then clear, concise, loving communication. And I will say over and over again, my yes means yes, my no means no. So the moment I say one of those, I'm going to back it up. So I don't, I, as an adult, do not say, yes, I'm going to do that for you unless I'm certain of it. So I don't come back and go, well, I'm the parent. I changed my mind or whatever. No, I said I'm going to do it. And I I ante up and I do it and I learn. Um, So I'm much more discerning. But the best thing is clear. Be clear, be concise, be consistent. And, And then everybody is happier. Well, and and Lexi and I both spend a lot of time with gifted children, and I was super excited to interview you because you also live in this world where you're connecting with gifted people on a daily basis. However, for you, you're more connecting with teens and adults, right? And so as a teacher, I'm constantly kind of, you know, dreaming and imagining what these gifted kiddos are going to grow up to be, knowing that their childhood will always affect their adulthood for better or worse. Their gifted label affects them their entire life. Giftedness doesn't go away. It only, the context changed throughout an individual's lifespan, right? So how would you say that giftedness in adulthood looks compared to giftedness in childhood? Would you, do you think there are a lot of similarities or what have you kind of seen? What I, what I've noticed a lot is, and because some of the families I work with have young children, like the youngest is two. So I, I kind of, I cover a lot of it. And what I notice is if a child is is tested gifted and they're gifted and they go to gifted classes and all that when they're young and it's seen as a positive and it's um, part of the family culture, as an adult, they honor it a little bit more. Now, what happens is where the real, what I'm noticing is the real place to pay attention to is usually like right out of high school and into college where some kids are, you know, maybe socially awkward, or I went to a gifted school. And so therefore, you know, I hide that because there's there, you know, I think, you know, people think I think I'm better than them or whatever. And so there's a lot of, of imposter syndrome and self-doubt that happens as a child gets older and matures into it because they don't want to be seen as weird or geeky or off or whatever. Um, And so they start masking and hiding. 
So that's why I use the phrase making friends with it. Like it's, it's not all of who we are, but it is a really, it's our friend, you know, like instead of our enemy, it's not a label. It's not because we're better than. So the kids I notice that have a lot of support from teachers and other adults when they're young, even if they go through that awkward stage in their, you know, late teens, early twenties, they tend to come out of it on the other side pretty well. I mean, I have a lot of people I work with that when I ask them about it, they, they won't admit that they were ever tested or went to a gifted class sometimes for months after working with me. They'll go, yeah, I went to, I was in gifted when I was in third grade. And I'm like, okay. So we're just now telling me because they were ashamed of it because they somehow had a bad experience about it or got blamed for something. So um, I always say, you know, gifted dentist doesn't go away. And I think the biggest thing for teachers, especially, and, and then to help the parents understand that it's giftedness is not just a few classes that we take in school because we're smart. It's a whole different thing. It's, and so therefore, when I'm out of that grade and now I'm in a different school or I'm doing something different, it didn't go, it doesn't go away. You know, it's also not a pathology. And so I think the biggest gift that we can give parents, especially, and the kids is, you know, it's a cool thing. I think it's trippy, you yeah. know, but like my, when I, when I was tested to get into gifted and I, and we had a gifted school where I was and, um, my mother point blank said, oh, no, my kids won't go there. I want them to be normal. And I look back on that and she was doing the best she could. But my mom was gifted, too. And I remember when I went to college at 16 and I called my mom. I remember this. It was yesterday, too. I called her up and go, mom, I figured it out. Like, you know, of course I did. And I said, our normal is different than everyone else's normal. Now I get it. I still didn't totally get it. Right. But I didn't. It never connected. Nobody ever helped me connect that it was a thing all through my lifetime. And so I think that the more we can really help people see that it's real and it's just not school. It's just not a class we take. Well, and I feel like you're a really great resource for uh, just gifted adults in general. or Because we see a lot of, most of the time, services in education systems are the strongest for gifted learners in the later elementary years and the middle school years. And then it's almost like they sort of slowly dwindle as they get older. So do you have any resources for teenagers and adults specifically who feel like I get help from no one? Do you have any resources that you are like go-tos? Uh, well, a lot of my experience, I wrote a book called Where Do I Fit In? Where I take the five major categories of people, I guess, and I make it a noun. So kind of like the Avengers, but they're the essentials is their title. And so they're the essentials of who we are. And I wrote that in a way that's more teenager, you know, curious, kind of happy fun. It's a short little book, but it's kind of like, where do I fit in? Um, my podcast, Someone Gets Me, is all about that. Um, it's all about people who were from all different ages, all different categories, all different things. Um, like, how do we do it? How do we manage it all? Because a lot of people are gifted and they never get identified. Right. Did And then, you know, they start working with me and I'm like, well, you're gifted. And I just, you know, and they're like, what? What does that even mean? Um, so there's so many, you know, nuances to it. So I, that's why I wrote that book. My new book is going to be called Someone Gets Me, which is going to be all about exactly what we're talking about and then some. And I think that the biggest way resources that people can use is all the different gifted communities like saying is a big one um there are so many places and to just start we're good at what are we good at diving down the rabbit holes and learning stuff and researching and, and all of that and there's resources all over the place and there's like i do a free 30 minute call people can call me and ask me questions for 30 minutes and i don't charge them oh wow and, and i um and so because sometimes people just need to know the whys and wherefores or where to look next or what to do next. Or, you know, I always say, if you're asking the question, like, am I gifted or does this apply to me? Like if somebody's listening to us and they're like, does this even apply to me? If you're asking that question, the answer is yes. 
Because if it does not apply to you, you wouldn't be listening to us, number one. And number two, you wouldn't be asking that question. So if you're asking the question, the answer is yes. So now start going after what's next. Like, where do I want to take it from there or not? And you work with so many different people. You know, you said your youngest is two um, and all the way into adults. It's just crazy. Crazy to me. Um, we would love for you, without giving any names, if you could give us an example of a gifted profile. So a learner that may be difficult to see to the untrained eye, um, but someone that is gifted and would identify as gifted. Oh, I have a couple of them that show up in my mind. Um, one of them is, how old was she when I was working with her? I don't work with her anymore, but she was about seven. So I think she was seven. She was in second grade. So that would be seven, I think. Um, and she's very quiet and introverted. And most gifted people are introverted. So she was quiet, kind of shy. She was kind of introverted. And, um, but she loved to answer all the questions when the teacher would ask a question. That was the only time I, that the teacher ever said she spoke was when she was, you know, asking class questions and the little girl's hand would go up. It, it was really cute and, and all of that. But other than that, she kind of just went right on by. When I started working with the girl is because her grades were suffering. Like she wasn't doing very well. They didn't think she was learning. They thought she had a learning disability, but it didn't show up on any testing. So they couldn't figure out what the struggle was when she was doing really well and then seemed to kind of plateau out and almost not necessarily fail, but not keep thriving the way that she had been and nothing was showing up. And so I started working with her and playing and I sat in class with her a little bit and did all different kinds of things. And what I noticed was she was bored, but she didn't tell anybody that she already knew all, all of it. Like, cause she didn't want to make the teacher mad you know, and she didn't want her parents to be upset with her. So she just kept it all in. So sometimes I tell people, if you have a student or your kid is kind of that introverted, shy, um, not saying very much to really pay attention to what else is going on. Because the moment she told me those things and, and I said, okay, well, let's talk to the people. Let's talk to the other big people and see if we can't get some of the things that would really help you and work for you. And so the teacher gave her extra homework every day, which was her happiest day of life, you know, and, and it wasn't big, but it was something so that she would not get bored. And then I had the parents say, well, we got to do extracurricular things, and, you know, so that we can augment what's going on. And the moment that happened, the moment we figured it out and she started doing it, she started thriving and doing really, really well. Um, and is currently really happy because somebody listened to her, but she wasn't able the, the moral of the story with her was she was not able to tell her parents or her teachers what was missing because she didn't know what was missing. So when I stepped in, I, I knew how to ask the right questions and see it. And then once we got it, then it was just a matter of teaching the parents how to play it out. And the teacher already kind of knew, like, as soon as I said this, this and this, the teacher goes, oh, I got it. And, you know, knew it's just needed somebody to kind of crack the code. So not all quiet, shy kids or quiet kids are doing just fine. Sometimes there's still waters that run deep. Another kid I had decided that he was going to, um, <laughs> this is a little older kid. He was in um, ninth grade, but he decided he was not going to have any debt when he got out of college. Now, this is a ninth grade kid. And he didn't want to have to have a mortgage or debt. And he didn't want to have to have a student loan. So he decided he was going to deal marijuana in the local school so that he could just make a bunch of money, not use it. He just wanted to make the money so that he could sock away the money so that when he got out of college, he wouldn't have any debt. I could go with that, you know. So once when the, and the parents were really brilliant, you know, business people. And, um, and so once we sorted all that out, so the dad sat down and we started showing him, well, this is how come probably you want to have a mortgage and this is kind of this and this is how you leverage money and this is what you do. And, and the kid had this great intuitive ability with stocks and stuff like that. So they, instead of doing the drug deal, which clearly wasn't going to work, the dad said, okay, well, what if we give you a little bit of allowance and you can you know, have a little stock account and you can trade and you can follow your intuition? Well, the kid started making a ton of money. And he made way more money and now is in college and has a business. 
while he's going to college because his intuition and his spiritual gift, he could just see it. And he wanted to be able to be self-sufficient well before he, you know, should have been. And, um, but the parents and I, we found a way to fulfill that urge to be independent and self-sufficient because that's really what he wanted when he said no mortgage and no loan. He just wanted to be his own person. So we had to translate that into a ways and a means that would work for him and the family so that this kid who's different than most ninth, ninth graders could find a way to have that sense of autonomy. And once we figured it out, it was a little bit, you know, it took a little bit to do that, but we got it. And now he's really happy and doing really well. And the parents are really grateful because sometimes we're cracking codes like these things that, um, I mean, the kid calls me Mary, called me Mary Poppins for a while. The mom calls me a Jedi, you know, because I know stuff. I'm intuitive. I can talk to somebody and I know what's going on, even if they don't know. And even if they try to not tell me, I just, then I have to sort out a way to get there from wherever I see it. So layers back. Yeah. Right. And, and sometimes it's just about having a trusted person outside of the system. You know, sometimes it's just that, or the kid can say something to me and then I can talk to the teacher and say, this is what it is. It's like a translator. Yeah. Do you do that a lot? Do you talk to your clients, uh, teachers? Oh yeah. Whenever they want me to, there've been times I've sat in schools with kids and stuff, especially in kindergarten and first grade and stuff. Yeah. Allow it and the parents allow it and that's what works and I will do it. That's one of the best things when everybody's just on the same page, same team. Yep. And sometimes that I act like that. I'm kind of like the, the, the hub, like, all right, here we go. And I, and then I translate, this is, this is, this is teacher talk and this is parent talk and this is kid talk and this is therapist talk and this is that talk. And so here's what we're all saying. You're just using different languages or whatever. And and I, I love being that kind of like translator, mediator person, because so much of the time, everybody's thinking the same thing. They're just using different words. And so they're missing each other, not on purpose, you know? And so sometimes it just takes that, that extra well, hold on. You are saying the right same thing. It's just here. Let me give you the language. And then it's like, oh, and it's a whole new world. So that to me, that's really fun too. They all need a Diane. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love working. I love seeing young people, kids especially, start to thrive and the relief on the parents' face <laughs> and the relief on everybody's face. But it's like kids don't need to have to grow up and feel depressed and terrible and awful about who they are. It's just goofy. So anything that I can do to be a beneficial presence and positive influence for everybody, I will do within reason. So how can our listeners get in contact with you? Well, the best way to get in contact with me is um, through one of my websites. Um, One is visionsapplied.com and the other one is missdianeallen.com. And um, the MsDianeAllen.com has a place, I think both of them do actually, where you can sign up for a free 30-minute discovery call. You just go on the link, sign up for the 30 minutes, and it's a Zoom call. So you have the video, whatever you want to know. If I can help you, I will do it. And I, there's no charge for it. And I do it on purpose as a service to gifted people. And um, and then, of course, I'm on all the social media. There isn't all my websites have links to them. We'll be sure to include those in the show notes for sure. Uh, so the last question that we ask all of our guests is how they feel about the term giftedness. Do you agree that the term gifted is problematic? If so, would you rename it? Oh, that's a fun question. Um, I do not think it's problematic. I think culturally it carries... Um, a cultural energy and belief system that may or may not serve, depending on the, on what somebody thinks. And for a long time, for a long time, I always told people I work with gifted adults. And even from gifted organizations, I was kind of poo-pooed and ostracized because we don't talk about gifted adults. We only talk about kids, even within the gifted community. And then all of a sudden, people started talking about gifted adults like it was a new idea. And I was introducing those ideas 10 years before. 
that's where my journaling paid off. <laughs> One of the ways. But I'm like, I think that it's a valuable word, but I also think there's a lot of misnomers. And I think there's a lot of bias, even within the gifted community. And so um, I use, for a long time, I used the word visionary. It's still on a lot of my things. Visionary leaders, isn't that? Because um, visionaries are gifted. And I think my personal view is if that, if it's gifted, then that's what it is. Like we don't sit there and rename like the sun because we don't like the word. We learn how to like the sun. <laughs> so, um, but I also think it takes a lot of consciousness and awareness on the part of the people in within the gifted community to make it welcoming and kind and beautiful and safe. And safe for people who aren't gifted to ask questions without feeling like they're stupid or they don't know. And, and to be open and receptive on that level to the fact that maybe there's gifted people out there who don't even know they're gifted. And maybe there's people out there who are gifted, who know they're gifted, but have, a, have such a bad experience or don't know what to do with it. And they're harboring all these unresolved things. And all they need to do is run into somebody who's nice and caring and listening and helps say, well, hold on. What about looking at it this way? And then now there's a healing that happens as a result of it. So, and I don't know any word that would be better. I mean, I used visionary, I've used other things, but my experience as a therapist and as all these other things I've done is the best way to deal with anything is address it head on. Like talking around it is goofy to me. So just say, okay, you know, so you're gifted. Now what? And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And we really hope you enjoyed this episode of They'll Be Fine. We would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcast or Audible. And if that feels like too much, we get it. Instead, just take a few seconds to give us a five-star rating or share this episode on your own social media. Every like and share counts and helps us to reach families and educators who are trying to navigate and advocate for the gifted loved ones in their lives. We'll see you in two weeks when we interview another amazing stakeholder in the gifted community.